And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't yet, check out my weekly emails where I'm sharing actionable B2B marketing, website and SEO tips, useful podcasts, goodies, and more. Why not give it a try over at businessgrowth.email. So joining me today, I've got Adam Tuttle. Adam's the Director of Customer Activation over at Active Campaign. Adam, a warm welcome. How are we doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me. You are more than welcome, sir. Looking forward to getting stuck into today's topic. We're going to be chatting how marketing automation improves B2B growth. So when I think of marketing automation, Adam, I, I, a bit like we were recording, talking about off, off air, I usually think of things like email sequences or maybe Zapier throwing things in when people download a guide and they get chucked into kind of some kind of auto email sequence. But I know there's so much more to it. So for anyone that's not too familiar with marketing automation, what does it actually mean in today's world from a B2B perspective? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think that its origins started with what exactly what you described. So, you know, early days, it was send an email, wait a couple of days, send an email, wait a couple of days. And that was that was marketing automation. It was really straightforward. Mm. Nowadays, so many platforms uh, have many more options as far as what you can do. So even if you think about um, active campaign, when we started doing marketing automation, our first version had four triggers of how you could start the automation. We now have well over 20, probably close to 30, right? So there's much more capabilities where I think marketing automation is incredibly powerful in 2023 is gathering data inside of your tool, whether it be the CRM that you're using, the marketing automation platform, or a combination of those things that you know, a lot of tools have both. And then using that data to send intentional messaging. And that could be something like a Facebook custom audience uh, message, you know, or ad at exactly the right time because someone's renewal is about to run up. It could right. be updating information in your CRM and telling your sales rep to make a phone call. So those types of things, I think it's taking it much farther than just the actual messages that's sent and using your data to inform those messages and then create more of a personalized approach for every single person, as opposed to every single person just goes through the exact same stream in the exact same time always. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay, and we're going to dive into some of those topics and some good use cases that businesses can put into play um, to entail all these things that you've just laid out there. Um, but for a business that's perhaps heard of automation, um, perhaps seen a few softwares, SaaS tools in play, but isn't sure, like what are the main advantages that setting up automated systems can actually bring to the table? Yeah, again, I think it kind of comes into looking at the, the modern landscape that we're in. Uh, if you look at uh, the world that we live in with technology, data is a currency right now. And so I think where businesses need to be focusing today and where they need to be focusing on is really leveraging that data through their automation processes to build out something that is very robust within their own ecosystem. And so it's, it's, again, kind of gone under the days of just sending out the email. 
but really trying to like leverage the data that you have in front of you to make informed decisions and report back to yourself on that. So it brings consistency in your testing. You then learn from the testing, you take those learnings, you apply them, and then you start the process over again. And it's just this continual cycle of try, improve, repeat, or maybe try, fail. Okay, let's undo that. We made a mistake. Now let's build something to do and keep testing. Um, and like I said, it really comes back to how you're leveraging the data that's being gathered or mm. collected throughout those processes. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to processes, are there specific ones? I mean, does it vary for each company or are there key channels that B2B companies you feel should optimize that for um, automating, in, in your opinion? There are unique situations. What I would say is I think sometimes we make it overly complicated, generally speaking. Um, and I'll give you the example. Uh, when I was selling ActiveCampaign as an account executive, um, I used the same automation sequence for every single demo I ever did. I just right. changed the storyline. Now, I always made sure it was relevant. Right? I always made sure that I was putting it in the context of the pain points. But you can only send out and be so creative with a welcome sequence, right? There's different things like that. So if someone signs up for your email newsletter, it's not going to be that different most likely than the person, you know, the other person on the street sending out an email newsletter. With that being said, though, I think there are a few core things that I would really encourage people to think about with automation. So let's just say that you're familiar with marketing automation. You've been using it maybe to send those email newsletters. That's fantastic. That's a, great place to start. Everyone should like start there. But then I would start asking yourself, what are going back to data? What are some of the data points that I could leverage for my business? So that might be where you get into that uniqueness a little bit. Uh, an example of this would be uh, for someone like yourself, if you came to me and said, Hey, Adam, uh, what's one data point that I should absolutely plug into my business. And I would say, Hey, I would tell you to build an automation that says every time someone opens an email from you or clicks on a link, I typically run both in my personal accounts. Uh, so I would say opens an email, clicks on a link. I will update a custom date field for last link click, last open rate date. The reason I do that is if someone goes more than say 60 days and they don't open any of my emails and I know that, you know, give or take, they should have received in, let's just say it's like 10 emails. Hmm, something's not right. I might want to send them a breakup email or I might want to pull them out of my active newsletter list and start trying to market to them on, again, Facebook through a custom audience or something like that. Mm. It's a really simple way. I think where automations can be leveraged to start saying, hey, what data can I be gathering that's unique or maybe not so unique to my business that will help me solve a problem or help me engage better with my audience and then to go from there. And so that's where I really encourage people to think about the, the unique elements is looking at what they need to be successful for their business. And then how can you automate either the gathering or the sending of that information? Yeah. 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 It's a nice example. So if, like you say, if you're sending out uh, some kind of email newsletter and you see that someone hasn't opened it for a certain period of time to, to then get back to them that actually says, is this something you're still interested in? Whereas yep. if you've got, someone on the other end of the spectrum that's frequently opening and engaging in the in the emails you're sending out clicking through links um spending quite a lot of time and then maybe opening them a lot of times i guess you can put them into a another set of uh audiences that perhaps 
reminds the sales rep to give them a call or right. follow up or whatever that next part of the process might be? Yeah, I, I would say that it would really come back to like what you're trying to drive. What's the behavior that you're trying to drive? So, for yes. example, some people are super pumped when they just have opens because that's what they're just trying to create that engagement right that way. But mm. for some businesses, say like an e-commerce business, they probably want somebody to be clicking on a link because that's how they're going to make their money is when people buy links. So it's like if you say, hey, this person has opened the last 100 emails, but they've never once clicked on a link. Is that a valuable customer? Like, do we want to be advertising to them? Do we want to be spending that mm. money on them? Things like that. On the flip side, maybe you get someone that only opens every other email or every third email, but they always click on the link and they make yeah. a purchase somewhat regularly. Oh, that's someone that we want to like double down on and maybe try to see if we can grow them or expand how they interact with us. Right. So it's again, I think it's looking at the behaviors that you're trying to drive and then using that automation to leverage that through data um, and hopefully give you a better result for your business. Yeah, sounds good. So Adam, let's let's do a, a little activity here live on live on the podcast. So a lot of our audience are going to be B2B either business owners or marketers or perhaps even some sales reps tuning in now. A lot of B2B organizations are going to want to probably drive prospects to their website and ultimately get either inbound demos or inbound leads and ultimately get a sales conversation fired up. It's yep. probably one of their main motivations. So I know you mentioned that perhaps one of the starting points is actually thinking about the data that you want to capture. But from that point of view, what should be some of the first steps that a company like that puts into play or thinks about before they actually do any strategic or actionable work when it comes to kind of setting up some kind of more marketing automation system? Yeah. So I'll tell you about what we've been doing uh, more recently. So we've just uh, last October, we launched a team, an active campaign called the customer activation team, which is what I lead. And we take in all of our trials off of the website. And our goal is to engage with them um, and get them to do exactly what you talked about, have a conversation with us really. Um, so the first thing that we do is that we actually use our automations to sort out uh, what we would consider like good or bad prospects. What I mean by that is with the amount of bots and things like that online, there's a lot of fake people out there and you don't want right. human capital going into sorting out fake people. So uh, we might look at certain domains or certain countries and say, oh, we know these aren't any good mm. uh, just because Again, they're bad actors or like for us, we actually block out active campaign emails because we do a lot of testing on our own tool. So we're always having developers and stuff like that build trials. I don't want yep. a team member wasting time. So we, we cut those out. Once that happens, so once we kind of get rid of the flack, I send them to a second automation. And in that automation, I start sorting. So I might look for a certain criteria. So for us, again, trials, we look at contact interests. So you know, how many contacts they have, number of employees in their business. Depending on that, we determine the routing. And then for us, again, we look at the geo. So we have teams in Brazil, Latin America, uh, the UK, or not the UK, excuse me, Dublin. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Uh, <laughs> in Dublin, uh, in Sydney, Australia, and then in, in America. And so we, again, try to optimize based on location. So we're sorting out who gets what. We're not just sending everything to the same people, right? Uh, especially related to time zones. 
And then what we do is we're actually currently working on building a lead scoring model within that. So taking that data even a step further and saying, okay, cool, we get, uh, let's just say, and it's a fake number, but 500 trials a day that actually get all the way through our, our cutoffs. And then mm. that's what we create deals for or opportunities for. Yep. And so what we do now is we're going to start prioritizing, again, based on criteria that we see the highest priority. And I look at things like what has the highest conversion rate? What has the highest lifetime value for active campaign? What has the highest churn rates? To me, that's not a really high value prospect. So I, I actually will give them maybe a, a worse score or say, hey, let's just automate the emails. And if they engage with us, great. But let's focus our time on dials and te- messages like a WhatsApp or text, whatever it might be. Um, again, depending on your location, some places you can do that, some places you can't, but right. um, we'll, we'll do that. And so we're just determining even the medium in which we reach out. So like for our Brazilian teams, they do almost a hundred percent of their business on WhatsApp. We okay. don't tell them to make tons of phone calls. We sent, we're starting to send out the emails all automatically. And we just say, just start messaging them because that's how your business culture engages with you. And so we're trying not to have a one size fits all approach. And I think that's the cool thing about automations. If I know something like geo, where I can see what team the opportunity is assigned to, I can now have them go down a unique path specific to the business practices of that area. And then it goes from there. And and it might not be a big global thing. It could be something like in your country, but you have two sales teams, one that works with a specific niche, Mm. um, one that needs to be qualified out a little bit more because of, you know, again, maybe there's some bad actors. And so you want to like do some leg work before you just jump on the phone with them. You can start again, doing all that sorting, which used to be manual through automations now. And now you're focusing your business on the things that are going to yield you results and returns as opposed to trying to sift through it all on the human side, which I think is the biggest advantage to automations in sales or for a, a growing B2B business is getting rid of that wasted human time and mm-hmm. having your human time really focus on what's going to yield you a, a positive result for your business. Yeah, it's, it's a good example because especially for like product-led growth, SaaS companies, businesses that maybe get a ton of free users, free signups, whether that's the usual 30-day sign-up before you go onto a paid plan or maybe they've got a free plan for life, whatever it is. But typically, the amount of free signups that then convert into paid users is very small. I think the industry average is, what, 5% or so from yeah, it's right free, free sign-up. Are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today.
apart from kind of all those frameworks that you've just outlined for us then, Adam, in terms of kind of filtering out the poor emails, making sure you understand the geographies and the, the segments that you're going after in terms of geolocations and their preferred channels and methods to communicate and essentially filtering out as much as you can, setting up as many systems in place as you can. Is there any kind of other examples, whether that's with the actual messaging itself or outreach or any kind of lesser known strategies that you've seen success with actually taking those free signups and then converting them into paid customers? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that we've been really starting to focus on now is setting ourselves up a framework where we can do experimenting mm. um, on those subject lines. And, and what I, why I think that's important is if I look at how my team interacts, most of the time they're using a template of sorts. Right. So if I can automate that template, now I can like start watching it and seeing how it's performing. The other thing is that I can do tests very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in the world that we live in that moves so fast with tech, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make with automations as a whole is that they say the set it and forget it model. So they, they take in, they build something and maybe it's hitting their goals, right? Like it's not that it's doing bad. It's like, oh, this is great. Like we can, we can work with this. And the one, the market changes all the time. So it's constantly evolving. The other thing too, is like looking at opportunities for uh, just like, Hey, what happens if we change this? And this is slightly like a slight shift, but I'll just give an example of this that we just did recently. We have chat bots that we use on our site to engage with my team. Um, So that's another way that we're actually trying to drive the conversation is through chat within trials specifically. So that's outside of the, the CRM. We just ran a very simple experiment where we changed like two words in our, our chat, like hook to engage with the customer. And we increased our connection rate from a 1.4% to 1.8% in less than 24 hours. And now we are throwing that one against the wall and trying something else. Like we're just always testing. And I want to start doing the same thing inside of our automations. I don't think that you have to go bananas with it and go every single week. Mm. But what I would say is maybe once a quarter, Say, hey, we're going to test. We have five emails in our sequence that you know are being automatically sent out. We're going to change the subject line on the first one this month or this week, right? And we're going to test it out. And you kind of go through this rotation and this cycle. Yeah. Um, so I think that not being willing to stay stagnant is is a is really an advantage that people can build for themselves because I think that most companies get something in place as long as it's like relatively close to their goals, you know, maybe it's a click rate or open rate or whatever it is. And they're like, great. Or number of meetings booked even they're just, yep, this is good. If we're hitting our numbers um, and not really pushing the envelope as far as, Hey, can we do better? Or can, Mm. what can we learn? Like what are the negative lessons we can learn of what not to do? Like there's other, (laughs) it goes both ways. Yeah. And I suppose there's quite a lot that you can test out really. Like you mentioned there, whether it's email subject lines, the actual messaging inside the emails itself, how detailed or how short they are, if they're personalized very much to the specific prospect, if they're talking about problems, if they're giving social proof, if they're giving case studies, Mm -hmm. examples, if they're using like a jobs to be done framework. I suppose there's so much that you can test out that you've, I suppose, got to give each a fair trial of a certain timeline and then see how it differs to what your current kind of conversion rate is or click-through rate is or open rate is on the emails to see how it works. 
A hundred percent. I mean, I've read use cases of even people changing the color of a call to action button and that color mm. getting a higher click through rate. But then you might want to say, does it have a higher click through rate and a higher conversion rate? Or does it just have a higher click through rate? Because, you know, we can make the assumption that, oh, higher clicks means more purchases, but maybe it's just a little bit flashier. So more people are clicking, but the conversion is actually not doing anything. Okay, so that's not really a win if conversion is your goal, right? And so I think uh, there's machine learning, even within some tools like ActiveCampaign, where you can start testing out like sends, what time of day does it send? It'll start trying to send emails at the right time uh, based on open rates. Um, there's lots of things like that. So I think that's the exciting part is like, where's, where's it going to go uh, in the next few years as it starts to learn? Uh, our behaviors better and, and how to engage with the individual as opposed to the masses. Mm. I suppose that's where it gets tough, really. Is that in terms of personalization at scale, Adam, is there mm. any examples that have worked well for yourself or that you've seen out in the field? Because um, I know there's the usual that we always see where you can just kind of pull in a prospect's name from, I don't know, sure. LinkedIn. You can pull in their most recent job from LinkedIn and everyone yeah. kind of, people kind of become tone deaf to this stuff after a while, don't they? Cause like, I've seen that personalization on every email, but it's, it's when you get more specific that you can I yeah. guess, hook people in, but that's when it takes more I, manual action. I think that personalization is a, a fantastic topic. And when I say personalization, I'm, I am not talking about just the email. I think that that is a part or excuse me, the name within the email. That's what I was going for. Um, the reason I say that is I think that that is a part of personalization. But in many ways, that has become personalization. And so we need to quickly change that mindset. The best example, and this is one of my favorites, is actually a customer of ours. They did this several years ago now, but it worked just so unbelievably well. Um, it was a customer based in Australia. They sell uh, biodegradable dog poo bags. And they what they would do is they knew that, you know, there was about a 60 day buying cycle, generally speaking. And so on someone would make the purchase and on day 45, they would put that person into a Facebook custom audience and they weren't actually trying to sell anything. Mm. They were only saying things like your dog loves you because you're eco-friendly. And they were just giving these positive affirmations for like two weeks solid. And then five days before they were supposed to purchase again, they would pull the ads and they would start sending emails that, Hey, it's time to renew your purchase. You're about out. Mm. And they saw huge success because they were using this multifaceted approach. But what they were doing is they were looking at every single person's purchase date and uh, you know, the other information they had to know when that person should be purchasing again, when they needed to get their next bill for the subscription. And then they would just do it automatically and they would actually tailor the messaging and the ads to those people based on that. And mm. I think that that was such a fantastic example. It was really simple, but it was just a great example of someone using two different ways of messaging to build up to something and kind of hit this peak in this crescendo, which I thought was excellent. So that, that's probably my favorite example that I've ever seen someone throw in and I've used it many, that's many times. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's almost like a, almost like a demand gen play really. Yeah. Like when you get a prospect onto your website and then perhaps you retarget them over time with like case studies and use cases and testimonials and all that good stuff, maybe on LinkedIn ads in a B2B scenario. Um, 
and then over time you're kind of educating them on how the product works and yep. the problem it fixes but in this case more of a, a d2c example are there any other you mentioned about at the start of our chat adam about using data to inform your messaging um we've mainly been talking about kind of automation through email flows but then you, you gave quite a nice example there but are there any other kind of ways that you can pull data and flip it into other channels um, that perhaps companies should be considering? Yeah, I think a really simple example is, you know, most companies, let's go back to your uh, question about demos or, you know, pricing requests, very, yep. very common in the B2B space, right? Sure. Most, not all, but most uh, forms for demos have something that's like, tell us about your business. And I think what happens is a lot of people gather that information and they don't use it <laughs> to their advantage. Right. So if someone tells you about their business and they give you a two or three sentence answer about their pain points, whoever talks to them should not go into that phone call asking them what their pain points are. They should go in or even in the message, you know, if they leave in a voicemail, Hey, you know, Tommy, I saw that you filled out this form. It looks like you're having problems with this and you're trying to solve X. I believe we can help you do that. But if you could give me 15 minutes of your time, I'd like to confirm. And if not, I'll tell you right away and we'll move on. And so I think if you take that type of approach, it can, again, be on that human side of things. It doesn't have to all be through email, mm. but it's helping your team members make informed calls. Or, again, those forms, they often collect a lot of information about like what industry you are in. Da, 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 da. You could, again, let's use the phone call. Hey. Tommy, it seems that your uh, industry real estate is, you know, booming. We've seen a lot of your uh, other realtors come in to our thing. This is how we can help them. I'm going to send you a case study in the email about a, one that we just helped a realtor, you know, 2X their business over the course of a year by doing this. Uh, if I can't get, you know, call me back. Right. And so you can use those things to your advantage. It's all about like what levers can you pull really? It's yeah. just leveraging it. And again, I think that sometimes we get so excited about being able to insert it right into an email. We forget that it could literally inform the conversations we have once we get somebody. Mm -hmm. And it, as we all know, like when you get on the phone with a, a salesperson, you know, that salesperson has about three minutes to like either like, make a good impression or, or probably blow it. And it, the more that you can come to the person and be empathetic to their experience and not just lump them into the box of what every single other person wants, every single other person needs, and you made them feel heard, you made them feel important, the much higher likelihood that you have, at least from personal experience of actually closing the business. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And are there any big no-nos when it comes to automation or any big things that companies should be sure to avoid. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this should go without saying, hopefully, but if someone asks to get off of your list, um, you should take them off your list, right? It's basic, but there's still a lot of businesses that say, oh, they unsubscribe. Now I'm just going to call them all the time or I'm going to send the messages on LinkedIn. And I think that CRM management and really if someone unsubscribes, you either need to give them the option to say, don't contact me at all. Or only contact me, you know, through certain means. Sometimes marketing departments say, well, the law says that we can still call them as long as, you know, and they try to wiggle around this. Mm. And I just think that that creates a really poor customer experience. So, yes, technically you can do some of these things. What I would say 
for a big no-no is treat others the way that you want to be treated. If you don't think that you would like someone calling you five times a day or whatever it is, right? Like you can go probably down to all the extremes. Yep. Then you shouldn't do that to your customer as well. And I think that again, because of, you know, companies like Amazon or Google or Facebook that are taking personalization to the next level, literally by knowing what you want to like eat for dinner, right? That kind of stuff, which is a little creepy, but it's also amazing. When we do that, I think that people are not as content as they were even five years ago with having an experience that feels vanilla or generic. They want something that makes them again, feel special. And remember that how someone interacts with your brand today, if they have a poor experience, that's much less likely that they'll come back. Mm-hmm. Even if they say, Hey, we're not a good fit today, but if they had a good experience with you, they could send you other clients. They can refer you people. They could um, do that. And I, I mean, I've seen that where I had a guy once, this was years ago, our tool wasn't nearly as built out as it is today. And he wanted something that we just could not do. Yep. And I literally said, HubSpot, our competitor can do this. <laughs> And he's like, what? And I, I like stopped the call about five minutes. And I was like, we're not a good fit for you. And he was like shocked by that. Well, then he started sending me customers that were a good fit because he was had a good experience. And so that's something that like, I always hammer on with my team is how do we create a phenomenal experience? How do we reduce the amount of people that someone has to talk to to get the answer to their question? Like something like that is really important. You know, if you have to send through uh three or four salespeople just to get a simple answer to a question, you're probably missing something. We just overhauled our entire process so that we could reduce those types of experiences to only the ones that were actually needed it. Um, And we just want to help people out. So I think that looking at those types of things is it sounds really practical, but a lot of businesses just think about the logistics of building and shipping their, the experience, Mm. not actually like how it makes people feel and how people are going to interact with it. Yeah. Really, really good examples. Um, the last one just makes me think of when companies hide pricing on their website and then you have to speak to like an SDR who passes you through to an AE who makes you book two other calls just to get a price when the company could have just put it on their website and saved everyone time and hassle. Um, but no, it's interesting, actually. I put out a LinkedIn post earlier, pretty much along the premise of what you said earlier, really, like being having those upfront conversations with prospects. Like you say, if you're not a good fit, let them know early. Um, even recommend them to a perhaps a trusted partner that you work with or send leads each other way because it'll it nearly always comes back to you like that prospect will remember that you're up front that you didn't try to sell them something they didn't need and like you say they'll they'll refer business your way because they'll remember you did them a good deed so yeah. it, it it always nearly always comes back in the good run totally nice example um and like you say also having a system whereby if prospects don't necessarily go with you today that you can stay top of mind with them so in the b2b organization for me that's like connecting them on, on linkedin so they see my daily tips yep. whether that's asking them if they want to be added to your maybe weekly tips email or sending them to your team's podcast so they can get free tips so if they want to do it themselves again you're, you're staying top of mind you're not forcing stuff down your neck you're just right. giving them the option to consume your content on the channel they prefer Yeah. And I think that, again, we have to remember the power of word of mouth, right? And it goes both Mm -hmm. ways. And especially what I've noticed in like the B2B space with like, say, marketing, this is a pretty small community. Like there's, there's not 
tens of millions of people that do this. A lot of people know, uh, you know, they know people in their region and their area, things like this. And so if they have a really terrible experience with you and they go tell all of their friends what a crappy experience they had with you because some SDR, you know, didn't know anything, refused to answer their questions and they get frustrated, whether they're right or wrong on how the mm-hmm. approach was, it becomes really, it becomes difficult to manage. And I, I think that that's where we just have to remember that, you know, 20 years ago, the, the internet was not nearly as developed as it is today, right? And so people could have that bad experience and they might tell their friend, but their friend's not going to go blasted on social media or something like that. And it's just, you know, or nowadays, whenever someone's upset, you go on LinkedIn all the time, you see it, right? People yep. are very upset and all it takes is a few shares and that thing's got 20, 30,000 views. And it's not even that, it's not even that hard. Uh, to make it go semi-viral. So I think that it's just really important. It doesn't mean you're going to make everyone happy, but I think at least intentionally having the mindset of, we're going to like think about the experience. We're going to try to be intentional with the experience. That's a great starting place. Awesome. Nice one. Well, yeah, good to chat, Adam. Appreciate you coming on and sharing all things automation, both online and offline, as we've just chatted through there. So with that, sir, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can learn more about yourself, Active Campaign, and any way you'd like to, to send everyone tuning in. Yeah, uh, I would just say for me, you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's, uh, I think, LinkedIn forward slash J Adam Tuttle. Uh, give me a follow. Let me know that you heard it here. That'd be great. Um, and that way we can grow the community. Uh, for Active Campaign, I would say that I would encourage everyone to just go start a two-week trial. So we have a free two-week trial, no credit card or anything is needed. Literally, you can get in, go test the platform, see the software. Um, you'll have chat options inside of that trial where you can ask questions if you need. And I would encourage everyone to ask questions. Um, even if you don't plan on buying the software today, or you're just wanting some information about what it could do, maybe you're in contract with uh, another tool, feel free to just ask the questions. I think that, you know, again, I do believe in our, our business for B2B businesses and B2C businesses. On the same time, uh, we're not always the right fit for everyone in this season. And so we want to have a straightforward conversation with that. So you should feel informed. Um, but that two-week trial is just the, the absolute best way to start it out. Nice one. That's a, a quick way for everyone to, to see your automation strategy as well. Yeah. See if it see if it cut the cuts the mustard, which I'm sure it will, sir. So yeah, thanks once again, Adam. Enjoyed the chat. Thank you so much. No worries, man. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating on Apple or Spotify goes a long way. Or if you're on YouTube, a subscribe is appreciated. And with that, we'll catch you on the next one for more no BS actionable B2B marketing tips to grow your business and revenue. Catch you on the next one. Cheers. <laughs>